Hi, everyone. This is Jack, co-host of the Summer Reading Podcast, coming at you live, not live, but not dead either, far in the future, before we even start to tell you that we like to swear. It's an explicit podcast. It's not crazy, uh, but we do say bad words, you know, like fooey, and we call each other cur a lot, like almost nonstop, and uh, what have you. We're good for a good what have you here uh, here and there. So just so you know, if you want to protect your, your delicate paper ears from uh, our, our cutting remarks, um, just be aware of that. So uh, sit back or, I don't know, go for a jog, whatever you do when you listen to podcasts. I'm not your dad. I could be. We don't know. Pretty sure I'm not. Send me a letter. Coming up on the Summer Reading Podcast. Brace yourself for the possibility of there being multiple Indian holidays. There is, and they're all today. So, okay, yeah. Yeah. Woman of the world. Yeah, um, I know things. the summer reading podcast this is the podcast where a professor and a librarian or sometimes a professor and a professor's mom read and review all of the books you were required to read in english class my name is jack i am your professor my pronouns are he him our librarian marty is not with us today but instead we have my name is rosa my pronouns are she her and i am jack's mom and she so graciously offered to step in for uh, Marty, who is currently on maternity leave. Um, and then I was I, I was thinking about trying to fit a joke in there about th this sort of being a maternity episode because you're my mom. Um, but I only um, half thought about it. That is true. Yeah, I am and your so mom. today. We are listening to, listening to, we're listening to and talking about uh, the short story, A Good Man is Hard to Find by Flannery O'Connor. By Flannery O'Connor. So, um, how are you doing today, Mom? I'm doing great. I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I worked on some octopi for premature babies. And then I uh, took a it's ride. It's a really to... interesting name for a nonprofit charity, isn't it? Uh, you know, it's hard to say where these things originate, but not for me to judge. I just, uh, I just step in where I'm needed. I just Whenever sling the there... yarn. Huh? I just sling the yarn. Yeah, yeah. Wherever there is a need for a little crocheted toy, I'm right there. Uh, and. I'm doing great myself. I was just going to ask you, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. The semester is winding down. The half term uh, is winding down and I am uh, tired. Oh. Uh, I'm tired and we're recording earlier per your schedule where... Uh, well, <laughs> I am a senior citizen. This is probably, I think, the earliest of the royal we 
have uh, ever recorded an episode or episodes of uh, summer reading. Uh, so I'm I'm adjusting to the afternoon. Mm. Mm. Well, I appreciate you uh, shifting the time to accommodate me. Heaven forbid, heaven forbid you uh, miss bedtime. So uh, it's not that I I. I like to wind it down, and I wind it down a lot earlier than you wind it down. I, I, I wind it down within the realm of understanding. Uh, yeah. I've got, I've no, got a bedtime. I will say. Uh, do you? Yeah, I got a bedtime. Yeah. Yeah. What you think? I just drop. I just drop wherever. I thought that all people your age yeah just go to bed whenever they damn feel like it that's that's wild because the amount of times i've seen you just crash in front of like the tv in the armchair rather than being like oh okay no it's getting to be that time better get up and lay down well it's been a while bananas to me well, anyway, it's been a while, Jack. I do do it regularly. Probably when I go to bed, your night's probably winding up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm throwing keggers over here. So, A Good Man is Hard to Find. Yes. Have you read this one before? <laughs> no. No. I have not. I uh, am not... A big connoisseur of short stories. An O'Connor. Yeah, I I actually don't like them. That yeah, much. I you're not you're not a huge fan of the short. No, story. and uh, this particular short story, uh, you know, reinforced that. Uh, <laughs> what's the opposite of preference? Aversion. Yes. Aversion. An aversion? Yes. Yes. I, uh, yeah. So it was the first time I read it. And, and you? <laughs> You're doing great. Uh, this, this was a reread for me. So I had read this before, uh, at least once. I don't remember if I've read it more than, more than that, but I had it as actually assigned for an English class. Uh, back when I was, I believe, a sophomore in college. Uh, and we didn't read it for, like, an American literary traditions class. We read it for um, a creative writing class. It was Intro to Creative Writing. And we, we had a, a whole, you know, array, a whole buffet of short stories and poems that we had to read for that, included things like Sea Oak by George Saunders. Uh, we had some of the Canterbury Tales by Chaucer thrown in there that we had to do but this was one of the uh and that's pretty much the extent of what i remember for the required reading um i think it, we had some edna uh malay saint vincent malay whatever whatever the fuck her name is we had her <laughs> we had her too but uh i remember reading uh i remember reading this and then getting to class and then the discussion clearly falling short of what the professor had hoped the discussion to be. Uh, it was very much a, like a classic, well, I don't, I don't yeah. parrots on the shirt? No, I didn't really pay attention to that, the parrots on the shirt, no. 
uh, and do that. So that was that was the first. This is this was a reread, and it was um, I was actually excited excited to reread this. Uh, as really? Well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I do not um, share. I think the same aversion to the short story. Uh, but I, I don't, I won't sit down and I'll just read a short story. Typically I'll have like a collection of short stories, uh, and I'll, like, I'll go through those and those will be what I do and sort of re macro reading or distant reading to understand like, okay, what, what do these authors like to focus on when they're playing around with different, um, stories? Yeah, I guess, uh, I look at like a collection of short stories, like I do like, like TV shows, right? Now, now that everybody is uh, watching streaming television and you can watch just about anything at any time, I kind of like the format where each episode is a continuation of the episode before. And to me, that's like chapters. And when you have a collection of short stories, that's like, you know, uh, NCIS every week is a different uh, topic and they solve it in an hour and I don't, I, don't, I don't care for that in my television viewing either not not a, a fan of like the monster of the week format not the monster of the week the monster of the week so it, it comes from it, it's a term from more so with like shows like doctor who buffy the vampire slayer where each week you have an episode that has a monster yes. which is the problem and you solve you solve it within the forty five minutes you have for that time period. Uh, exactly. The, the term is monster of the week, adventure of the week, sometimes. Okay. Mystery crime. Of the week. Crime of, crime the, of week. the week. Yeah. Uh, ah, yes. Exactly. I'm not a fan of that format. I like it drawn out over many many hours of viewing or many many pages of reading i want it fucking exacerbated i want i i want it so long that you you forget the characters at the beginning of the show by the time you get to the season finale yes exactly <laughs> and then you can watch it again and then when you watch it again you can say oh why they did that oh that's what that meant you get it, to see all of the details that you missed because you were crocheting the first time uh well that's a habit we don't need to discuss right now <laughs> i would i would have liked to have been crocheting now but uh you kiboshed it I, listen <laughs> when you're in class you're in class I, listen professor i get it for the listener we just took a, a sip at the exact same moment <laughs> punctuating the sentiment so, so so let's dig in here sure uh flannery o'connor how familiar are you with flannery o'connor know anything before say no. maybe an episode of dead authors podcast no but i will say so, so i had no idea who this person was uh I, I thought it was a guy that's the name and i was very excited because it was a very irish name and i mm. thought 
yes, an Irish author. Those are the best storytellers. This is going to be great. <laughs> uh, so I do like the author's name. And then you got slapped with the American South. Yeah, and then I read who she was, and I'm like, eh, really? <laughs> so that was a bit of she, a letdown. So uh, Flannery O'Connor, born um, Mary Flannery O'Connor, uh, yep, yeah, born Mary Flannery O'Connor, uh, later dropped the Mary because she liked how Irish... Flannery O'Connor sounded. Right? Because it is a great name. It's a great name. It's got a good meter to it. It's it's got it's got a, you know, a life of vivacity to it. Yeah, yeah. Really I can enjoyable. picture, you know, the scrappy Irish, you know, young woman just uh smart mouthed and witty and that's what I pictured. It's and so how how fast did you like come down from that high learning that she was, in fact, an American. Uh, very quickly. Very Almost quick. immediately. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. Yeah, well, uh, you know, second or third paragraph is like, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, where are the troubles? Yeah, where are the... Oh, yeah, where, where is the scrappy, uh, you know, brood? Where, where's, where's her brother? Where's the... Uh, yeah, anyway, I, I, so, I, it was a letdown for sure. But um, so, so Flannery O'Connor, uh, she was born in 1925 and she passed away in 1964 from complications of lupus, which she had been struggling with for the last 10 years of her life. Um, she's she, 39. Uh, is that what the math turns out? I, I actually didn't look. I just looked like 60. No, I read that. I looked that up today and I went, oh, now no, it's sad. Now I'm sorry I didn't. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, I said, wow, she was young. So, she, My exact she words. She was. And her, her father passed away from the same uh, affliction. Uh, and so she uh, passed away in 64. She considered herself a novelist, despite the fact that she only really had two novels, one of them being Wise Blood, uh, that uh, I'm like, uh, you read it? Yeah, I have it. Um, but it's not by a, an Irish woman, so I don't know if you'd be interested in it. Uh, it's probably not. So um, she grew up Catholic in the South, uh, and religion is sort of throughout a lot of her her work but she has a bunch of uh different recurring things that tropes and motifs that come up throughout a lot of her fiction uh she considered herself a novelist but she was better known as uh, a short story writer now she she wrote across a bunch of different you know platforms so she had letters nonfiction, um short stories and novels and she had uh, commercial success in her time. She was uh, well-read uh, in it. And in fact, it was the collection, A Good Man is Hard to Find, that uh, gave her critical literary success. That was the one that sort of solidified her, her spot on the map. Um, and <laughs> your, your face is like, this one? this story so uh she is a graduate of the iowa writers workshop and uh was 
I don't, I don't know, a resident of Yaddo, which is a, a well-known and sort of historic artist's retreat here in, uh, here in America. So, uh, that's, that's the grand strokes. Do you have anything to, to throw in about Flannery O'Connor? Um, no, I, I do, I, I feel bad for her because she died so young, but, um, the, the bio that I read, yeah, she seemed like she was a little privileged growing up, a little racist, mm -hmm. um, which is not, I mean, you know me, Jack, just not my favorite, um, my favorite kind of, uh, it's it's not what I like in an author. I like somebody a little more, you know, down to earth with the people. You know, you know what I mean. So uh, I, you brought up, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, so you brought up uh, Flannery O'Connor's racism, um, and uh, there there's a couple of articles I read in preparation for today. One of them being from the New Yorker that was written by Paul uh, Eli, I think. That's how you pronounce his last name, but it, it's not called this, but this is like the headline, How Racist Was Flannery O'Connor? And it was published in June of 2022, and I uh, was on the phone with Marty earlier today, uh, like called halfway through, because uh, you can listen to this article, and the the woman who is narrating the article has the silkiest voice. Mm. Um, that I, I got to a point where I'm like, I don't even know if I'm even listening to the article at this point or if I'm just lost in what this woman sounds like. Oh, yeah. I love listening to a good voice. Yeah, it, it's it's great. And then she went full, full, like, Southern drawl when they were quoting O'Connor. Um, it, it was a lot. And they go into, um, it's a longish, it's about half an hour to listen to. Um which is really pretty long. It's a long-form article. They literally say this is a long-form article. They might as well say buckle in. Um, <laughs> but uh, they go through and they talk about sort of this, the racial history of O'Connor uh, and talking about how in, in many ways that her, a lot of her writing shows a want for connection between people uh, in a lot of her fiction uh, which is strange because I don't get that from A Good Man is Hard to Find in particular. I don't see uh, a, a deep-seated uh, want to connect. But she writes a lot about isolated figures. Um, and one of the things that comes up in this article is there's a lot of talk about how her nonfiction and her personal essay writing is much more uh, racist than uh, and much more overt. I would add, like she lambastes James Baldwin quite a bit, uh, and it's it's a little, it's it's off-putting, and so a lot of people who champion the conversation now is the champions of O'Connor uh, for uh, some decades have sidestepped the uh, racial unseemliness of O'Connor, but now as we're moving more towards it to being conscious about like how we engage with media and politics and cultural sensitivity being like, okay, I, I don't think, I don't think we can ignore the fact that she, you know, is a racist. 
in in many many applications of uh, her fiction. Yeah, um, it it showed up in the story. Yeah, <laughs> quite I, quite overtly. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't surprised when I read that in the bio or that I think I saw that article. I didn't read it like you did, but uh, you know, caught the headline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you see a headline that says "How racist was Flannery O'Connor," and you just know that the rest of the article is not going to be like not very. Yeah, well, and I already assumed the answer was very. <laughs> very. The, the, yes, yes. So it, it's a good listen, especially with the the narrator they have. Just, just, I don't actually. I don't know. Who, I don't know who this mystery woman is. The one with um, the silky voice. The one with the silky voice. I. They told me to download the Autumn app. And I'm not going to do that, but whoever you are out there, thank you for such a lovely <laughs> read of the New Yorker article. The what? Um, the Autumn app? What is that? Yeah, not Audible. Autumn. A-U-D-M. This is free advertising. Oh, Autumn. Not autumn. like, not like, oh, not like the, the leaves are turning because it's the autumn it's the autumn app oh yes beautiful the end of the year has come around you need you can't enjoy such a, a lovely lovely time of the year without downloading the proper app because then you get summer s-u-m-r you get spring which it's just spring with the i taken out and then you get winter which is w-n-t-r those are like the four apps for the uh, whole year oh apps don't there there are no vowels in apps yes yeah, yeah. Modern marketing's war on vowels. So, T H X. So, okay, uh, yeah, and then I, I read another article. I'm not going to go in um, great detail with this, uh, but uh, I read this article from PBS called "How Did Flannery O'Connor's Writing Reflect Her Disability?" Uh, because she was living in the, the latter part of her life with lupus, it was affecting greatly her mobility and her overall health. Uh, and so it's it's an interesting look. It, I, I don't I didn't find as succinct because some of the, like paragraphs were just like, and this person said this, and this person said this, and this person said this. I don't. I read that as well. I don't think it showed up in this particular story, but the. And you've you you've probably read more of her, obviously, than I did, since I only read the one story. But uh, <laughs> like it was saying, how there's a lot of like grotesque, yeah, characters in in her other stories, and that is you know a reflection of her own disability, mm -hmm. so. which is. I think th there's a good argument to be made there for someone who does literary studies and disability studies uh, together in uh, ways that are much more ar articulate than I can muster uh, for this episode. So, all right. So let's, uh, let's get into the review. Oh, sure. So a good man is hard to find. I, I think this is one of the American short stories. Um, when I, I think of like the short stories that we learn in English class, there's, you know, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald comes up, um, Hemingway does Hills Like White Elephants. I think Chopin's story of an hour, that's one that comes up. But I think this is, this is one of the big ones 
when we're talking about the American short story. And so, A Good Man is Hard to Find. It's the story, we could say, of a family, a southern family, who leaves for a trip to Florida. Uh, and it focuses on this primary figure of the grandmother of yes. the family, who doesn't want to go to Florida. She wants to go to West Tennessee. Um, and they don't. They go to Florida, and she brings up this article about an ex- escaped convict called the Misfit who is supposedly also traveling to Florida. So why would we even risk it? Let's just go to West Tennessee. Um, on the way, they stop at a restaurant called The Tower. Uh, mm-hmm. She uh, meets, uh, what's his name? Red Sam? Red Sammy? Yeah. yeah. It, Red Sam, he, the, the, the gullible storekeep. He's, so uh, she calls him a good man. Uh, they name drop the name the name of the short story. They say, you know, a good man is hard to find. Um, and then they continue on their way. Uh, you see, for the listener, we're both holding up the same uh, cactus pen <laughs> that we have. <laughs> uh, they they go. The grandmother suggests a different way. She had brought her cat along. The cat gets out, freaks out uh, the driver. Her, the grandmother's son named Bailey. He drives the car into a ditch. They all get hurt. And then the people who stop are the misfit and his his crew. So the, the misfit uh, is just like, okay, we'll help you. But then the grandmother recognizes the misfit. Uh, and slowly uh, but surely, the misfit and his guys kill off the members of the family uh, in twos uh, until <clears throat> until he shoots the grandmother dead. Uh Anything else you yeah, would have well, me throw the, in there? So the detour they took was because of her. Yep. So she knew this this, this fabulous plantation that she knew of, and it, it had a secret door and a secret compartment, and the kids were kind of, you know, spoiled little brats, and they, uh, you know, we want to go, we want to go, until... Bailey was it Bailey. Bailey. Uh, he said, "Yeah, okay." And then, and then, they, then they get in an in an accident. So, uh, is that, s- sorry, I had I had a slight interruption there, and uh, and and they actually end up in the dish because of her. Because of the grandmother. Yeah, yeah. But I just want to back up for a minute because I do think. I didn't agree with the spark notes. <laughs> I, <laughs> Give it to me. I mean, sure. She was, she, you know, she was a grandmother. I mean, they made her out to be an evil, self-centered kind of old lady. And, and you know, they're not wrong, but she, you know, she's a grandmother. So I, I mean, I, most of the older people... Uh, excluding present company that I know are like that. You know, they're just they're just old people, and she, you know, you know, they made a big deal because she snuck her cat on the trip, which I thought was charming. Um, <laughs> how how would you describe the grandmother if you were to talk about her personality? Um, you know, like uh, opinionated. Uh, like she's trying 
to still be the matriarch in this family. And she's got zero power, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't give up. She's still like, you know, uh, we always go to Florida. No, you want to expand your children's minds? Don't you care? This is way <laughs> you better. You want to expand you, your you, children's you're gonna, minds? You're going to put them in harm's way, taking the same route as this crazy killer? Because I personally don't think she really was worried about running into a, a, a you know, crazed killer. I think she just literally just wanted to go where she wanted to go. And that was part of, you know, the uh, argument as to why they should go there. And everybody Mm -hmm. else treated her like they treat all older people. Yeah, the grandma, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Keep it down. She stayed home. (laughs) So, So, all right, that's a great point. I think that the central family we focus on there's not a, a likable character in the entire bunch. Um, and I I, I find like the that... baby. Yeah, the baby. I like the cat. <laughs> yeah, he had a cool name. Uh, P- Petty Sing? Pity Sing? Something like that. Um, so, like, I definitely am of the, that school of thought where at the beginning of the story, I, I'm... I know, or I'm pretty sure, that the grandmother actually doesn't care about the misfit. She'll take any argument she can get for going where she wants to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, the the I don't think that she's, at the beginning of the story, completely concerned about the misfit. She's aware of it and thinks that she's able to employ this as anything to, to supplant her argument as to go where she wants to go for vacation. Um, and, and how I support that is it comes in with, we follow up with like, okay, these other arguments, they've been there before they've already been, they haven't been to where I want to go. They've been to where they want to go before. Uh, so why would we do that? Um, and then it's, you know, contrasted with just these really abhorrent children, the, these little shitheads, um, where, like, I'm like, yeah, we're not supposed to like these kids. Uh, they're not written in a way that is like, oh, you know what? Maybe these kids have a point. They're they're children, but at the same time, they're just so, they're so nasty. And there's no, what seems to be disciplinary measures that come with th- these children's nastiness and sort of monitoring or, or dealing with. this relationship i don't recall the mom doing anything except holding the baby she just holds the baby her her shoulder like breaks in the car crash yeah yeah but she but she she literally has except for being she's like a uh an extra in the story She's, she's like part of she's like part of the scenery yeah but she's she says she has no lines. She's got nothing to do. She has nothing. no agency. She's holding the baby, and that's all she does. How do you feel about that? I I feel about that the way I felt about this whole story was that uh, 
just not, it, it didn't make sense to me. There was just not enough, like she was not developed at all. She just, mm. uh, she got in the car, she listened to everybody argue, she held the baby, she broke her arm in an accident, and died. <laughs> That's it. That's not a full life to you? End of story. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I feel like this is indicative to, to one of the things that I, I wrote down, which is uh, there's very little connection in this story. Uh, when I say connection, I, I mean like between people. And I think that is in part by design where we have this, this figure of the misfit and he's this man who's sort of separate uh separate from one the family and two society uh but also to me seems to be the the most well-spoken character of all of all of these figures uh that that we have that have lines um yeah, he's, he's not... like hey yeah the most he, he was like the most thoughtful yes yes yeah he he, he was very thoughtful like he's considered and that's even a point he says that his dad says like called him someone who thinks about the world yeah 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 um and and he is and we get that sense uh versus uh, we get this sort of with the final line uh after the misfit shoots the grandmother three times in the chest where he's like she you know she she might have made it if someone was always there ready to shoot her three times in the chest I mean, the, which sort of signifies like most of what the grandmother does is like performative like, she doesn't really care about living her life in a way that means that she's a moral and good person. She's living her life in such a way that she's going to be viewed as a moral and good person. Yeah, like, she she's a lady. Is she a lady, though? Uh, uh, she, 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 well, number one, yes. Uh, well, yeah, biologically, she's a lady. <laughs> but, uh... Is she a lady? Hard to say, because it's the, it's the problem I have with this short story and many short stories. I don't have enough information to know, right? I, I do not have an attachment to any of these people because it just, it, it, like, you don't get to know any of them. The amount of time you spend with the story does not give you the amount of time to get to know the story. Right, right. And I will also say, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but at the end, right, they're in a horrific accident. And the way it's written, okay, this thing happened. They're in an accident. The, the mother broke her arm. She broke her arm. And then they run across the criminals and systematically... He's taking them into the woods and obviously shooting them. And there's like no reaction. There was no reaction from the mom and the baby when she's hearing her husband and son get shot. There's no reaction from the grandma. Not until the very, in the very end when she, uh, she, she knows she's going to buy it. Um, then she realizes, right? And she's like, oh my God, Bailey. It's almost like she wasn't paying attention to what was going on. Do you know what I mean? It just made no 
sense to me that there should have been, I don't know, more words. More words. That's, I, I would say that's definitely an interesting take on uh, the language. <laughs> yes. In, in the story. I, uh, I will concede, like, there are moments in the story where it feels like O'Connor's sped through. Um, yes. A, a moment. And so I know that when I was reading, uh, when I was reading initially the car crash, I had to go back. I had to go back and see it a couple Just times. like, what happened? Did something happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the, for, for, like, the moments between them leaving the restaurant and them being in the accident, I was like, I've missed something. I've, I've definitely missed something. And a lot of the details that you have are incredibly subtle. Like they think, um, right? They go off the road to get to this plantation, which isn't there because she made a mistake, mm -hmm. right? And I guess they going off the road. They must have went in a ditch. Yeah, I'm with you. It was, uh, oh, it's because there was no drama. There was nothing. It was an accident. She broke just her an arm. accident. <laughs> um, let's talk about the misfit. Yeah. How how do you feel about this figure of the misfit? Felt bad for him. Feel bad for him? <laughs> I thought he had a hard life. It's the he way he seem... talked. I just, uh, there was, again, who knows? Because he, he was very thoughtful. I, I think he had, you know, he, he had mental issues. He would, he was, uh, because his mannerisms and his language and his conversation didn't match the violence that he had in him. <laughs> yes. Do you know that's, what I mean? It's yeah, like, that's really interesting. They're, they're sort of, he's crafted around this sort of, uh, dichotomy or this yeah. tension where his, his language is so methodical. Uh, whereas his actions seem rather striking. Yeah, very uh, yeah, quick, quick and violent. Uh, I just got the so he wasn't like I do watch a lot of TV, so I, I know what I don't like to watch. <laughs> he wasn't like mean. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't like horrifying, you know what I mean? It was yes. like they, the three, there was three of them, right? And they stopped and they were having a conversation. Like you didn't know, like, like it's like, go, go, you know, go do this. Take them in the woods, shoot them mm -hmm. when nobody could see them, right? And it was just happening. He was still talking to the grandmother. Mm -hmm. And this is where, it would have made more sense to me if the wife was screaming and wailing or something. Just something. You, you, uh, a bit more obvious. Your husband and son just got shot and you're going to be next. And you're, <laughs> what are you doing? Are you... Uh, so, but, I mean, to I, I felt bad in the sense that he was a human being that uh, 
kind of took a wrong path and it seems he's, like he had a good charged relation. for a crime that he doesn't remember committing yeah so he has some issues but he talks to it about his father i mean the crime was he killed his father he talks about both of his parents rather reverentially yeah but the crime was he and the killed crime his... is he killed his father <laughs> it, 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 that's interesting because that's that's his picture of a family and the other picture of the family we have is we have the 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 grandmother's family and the grandmother's family um no one's killed each other uh but they speak so horribly about each other and to each other where it's like oh grandma we should have left her at home uh or no we're not going to go do that thing and so there's this kind of like this this sort of parallel uh, or this inverse between the two of them where you have this guy who's a murderer who speaks very highly of the of his family and you have these people who, uh, to the best of our knowledge, aren't murderers who are not particularly kind to each other. Not, I just thought there was just another thing that didn't make sense to me that could have been developed a little more. He was saying that the children were making him nervous. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay... Is that, is that, the, like, so? I mean, why, why, why? I, I didn't, I, I was trying, as I do, trying to piece together why, why he was like that. Why did he do that? Why, like, something happened in this guy's life to make him just uh, be a bad guy, right? And, you know, Kids were making him nervous. Okay, why? When he was a child, did his dad uh, beat him if he talked too much? I don't know. Just, I, I needed more. Mm -hmm. the, it's the story just, it just seemed pointless. It, <laughs> so, I will say in fiction, there's this concept of the curiosity gap. And the curiosity gap uh, is when a writer will introduce uh, a detail, something, an action, um, that it, the purpose of it is not immediately apparent. Um, and part of part of this is to have tension where you understand that there's a piece of the story, even if it's not immediately aware why it affects the story. Or what effect it will have on the story. And one of the narratives I like to use when discussing a, a curiosity gap is Twin Peaks. Um, so Twin Peaks, uh, you have this town, you have this David Lynchian landscape where there will just be things. There will be a barbershop quartet in the background. And they're not really doing anything. The barbershop quartet is there. And you don't know what the point of that detail is, but they do build they do build up an atmosphere. Even if you miss the barbershop quartet, you're still wondering uh, if it, consciously or subconsciously, what part does this play in the overall scheme of things? So when I'm thinking of something like children make the misfit nervous, I I might not know what that means for like the story as a, a fully realized round thing. But it does give me a sense that outside of this 
scenario, the misfit has lived a life. He's lived a life and he's uh, a rounded character and he has all of these curiosities about him that we don't get to the bottom of because the story isn't even about him. If anyone, we could say that the story is about the grandmother. Um, and at, at the end, we sort of get this not moral about how she would have lived her life if she was always as worried or nervous as she was when the rest of her family is dead and she's realizing she's with these really dangerous men and she's trying to appeal to them, uh, but fails. Um, and I think that's one of the things that O'Connor has really peppered throughout the story. Just these passing, as we said, subtle details or subtle actions that blink and you miss them. Mm -hmm. Blink mm -hmm. and you miss them. And uh, there's no moment at the end of the book where, at the end of the book, at the end of the story where O'Connor uh, says, and this is what it all meant. And this was the point of everything in, in a way that uh, can leave a lot of readers wanting for that closure. And a lot of other readers left sort of with this hollow feeling of being like, but what about blank? But what about these other, like this other situation? For me, that, com that comes in with uh, the restaurant. When I, when I read through the restaurant uh, scenes, I'm like, I don't really know if this is super additive to my experience. Of oh, the so I took that restaurant scene as a way for her, the author, to tell us they were on a path with the bad guys. Because I immediately thought that those guys that stiffed him were the bad guys. Yeah, and so I think for me, with the restaurant scene, uh, while that is like the... I, I would agree. I think if you had nothing else for the restaurant or the stop, I can't even remember at this point if it is a restaurant. Um, if they just had that, I'd be like, yeah, okay. They stopped. They got this bit of dialogue. They're moving on. Uh, but there's all this other set dressing around that where you get you get this moment of the, the grandmother who's like, well, you know, a good man is hard to find. You know, the... That's you know, I think the... the the guy said that the red red sam sammy red, red yeah sammy. he's he said a good man is hard to find i have this absolutely ancient copy of flannery o'connor's complete stories uh that i got from the free book cart at uml oh and nice looking book yeah That's it's, a it's lot of writing it's, so yeah, it's filled with of... stories like this one huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, you knocked this out over the weekend. Um, five hundred pages, over five hundred pages of this. I, and I, I borrowed. I borrowed this from the library. It's pro it was probably the same book. Um, and so I, I actually, I've never read from this book yet because it is so gigantic, and I only kind of like Flannery O'Connor. That I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna like when I'm gonna sit down and and be like, yeah, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read these. Uh, but I opened it up because I knew a good man. To, I, I knew I would find a good man is hard to find, um, and the spine is like broken at this story. 
interesting. Well, I will also say this about the story. I was having lunch uh, with a friend, and uh, it was, you know, we were catching up, and I told her I was going to do this this thing with you, and I had a, I had homework, and she said, "Oh, what are you reading?" And I said. Oh, uh, Good Man is Hard to Find. And she said, oh, by Flannery O'Connor. I, I read that. And I went, you did? <laughs> I went, did you like it? She's like, yeah, I don't really remember it. But uh, I was I was surprised. Like, uh, am I the only person in my circle that has never heard of this author? <laughs> Flannery O'Connor, I would say, is one of, I, I think, the better known names of American fiction writers. Yeah, well, you know my uh, literary background is not that extensive. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, do you want to go into rabbits? Wow, yes. Already? Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Rabbit. Uh, I hate rabbit. If there's anything I hate more than a rabbit... It's two rabbits. Hello and welcome to Rabbits. This is the segment at the end of the show where we rate the book on a scale of none to five rabbits. You can use a decimal, but just don't think too much about what it means to give something a half rabbit. So, Mom, mm. short story. A Good Man is Hard to Find by Flannery O'Connor. How many rabbits are you giving this one? Um, wait a second. <laughs> this many yeah okay one rabbit one rabbit for, for, for the listener my mom got up she left the frame she came back with a crocheted a single crocheted rabbit um <laughs> and that was her rating which is impressive um because that makes uh this the lowest score we've ever given on oh, the podcast. is there a rule because i did not the, it no, got the rules, one rabbit because i finished it the, <laughs> the 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 rule is whatever's honest in your heart yeah i do think this would have been an excellent novel if she mm -hmm. just uh you know, d developed these characters, went into a little more depth, especially, you know, give give the mom a personality. I mean, I, I, I think this storyline was interesting, but the delivery, and I know we, we had this conversation offline that it is a short story, but I don't think that just because it's a short story means that you could rush through everything and make, I mean, too many things just did not make sense. I mean, your entire family is getting taken out, to literally taken out in the woods, and there is no nothing. Maybe a slight desperation <laughs> in the grandmother. <laughs> But uh, mostly it's for her own self-preservation. But uh, anyway, so I, I... I don't know. I was going to give it two, but I only made this one rabbit. <laughs> I only had the one rabbit to give. 
<laughs> All right. So a lot of I rabbits disagree. to give. How about you, Jack? I did. I just oh, thank you for asking. Um, I disagree. Um, quite a bit actually. <laughs> um, so I I think I would also I agree with I would enjoy this as a novel. Um, as well, but I do think it's a rather successful short story. Um, and not successful, like, commercially, but I feel like, um, atmospherically and intentionality-wise, I think it does what it wants to do. I think, uh, I think that O'Connor is looking to open more doors than she wants to shut. She, she's including, uh, these stray things to that makes makes it to me feel like this is part of it, a lived world outside of the events of the story. And so everything that you experience in a day might not be part of what you think the story is, but they're all details that matter. Um, I do think it is uh, a crime not to have not for the mother to have personality. Um, but I think the reasoning behind that is because there just needs to be a family to die. And I think the shock and disbelief um, of being in such a traumatic situation, I do think that that is a viable response to a, such a traumatic experience. That said, um, what I don't like about the story is the fact that I only find one character interesting, which is uh, odd because for a short story, there are a lot of characters here. Yeah. Uh, there we got the misfit. We got Bobby Lee and Hiram, who are the misfits goons. We got f five, six members of the family: two parents, three kids, and the three grandmother. Kids. Yeah, six. Yeah. And then we stop on the road for two other characters, um, and I'm like, there's there's a lot of people here, uh, and they all have their own little characterizations, but I don't think that they're characterized in a way that um, is interesting. Uh, I think they're written the way that Flannery Connor wanted them to be. Like, I don't think that the, the children are per particularly sympathetic characters. They're just annoying. And I, I think that there's not a lot of empathy that went into the writing of those children, um, which is a huge gripe that I have with a lot of literature. Um, I wonder her personal views on children. <laughs> she likes peacocks. That's her thing, Flannery O'Connor. She lived on, on the farm and they had peacocks there. Uh, so with that, I think my my rabbit score is I'm gonna give a good man is hard to find three rabbits. Yeah, that makes sense. It it, it makes enough sense for me. The for story you. makes enough. Yeah. yeah. For 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 you. Was I too harsh? No. I might be a bad grader. No. <laughs> I mean, she made out okay. Look, she was famous, and she died at 39, so. Two birds. Two peacocks. <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, final thoughts on Flannery O'Connor's A Good Man is Hard to Find? Um, That particular story? Is it a movie? I'd like to watch the movie. It must be a movie. Here, let me. Yeah, I would watch the movie, because I do think it's a good story. It's hard to find movie do, do, do. Uh, <laughs> a short film came out <laughs> oh well <laughs> and we all know how how much you love uh, short media yeah 
Good man is hard to find. Amazon. Okay, a good man is hard to find. 2008, hour and a half. Oh, yeah? <laughs> uh, okay, this is not the Flannery O'Connor short story. <laughs> oh. Based on the musical stage play of the same name, A Good Man is Hard to Find is the story of three women who each undergo romantic crises that challenge their personal and spiritual relationships. So I don't think that's Flannery O'Connor. <laughs> we saw that. You at saw that, it? At that uh, theater in Maine? That narrows it down. Lakewood. Oh, in Maine. Lakewood. Oh, the one... Yeah, I think we. I think I saw that. I, you think saw, I didn't see with, it. Uh, some friends. No, you weren't there. We go to plays <laughs> when you're not around, believe it no, or not. No, I know. Most of the time you go out, I'm not there. I don't take it personally, though. Well, that's good, because... Uh, we meant it that way. I'm sure Our, you do. I'm sure you do things uh, without me. So. Yeah, sometimes I sit in the living room, and other times I stand in the kitchen, and <laughs> sometimes uh, anyway, I go get the mail. I uh, yeah, I am. Yeah, I hope that was okay. <laughs> this has been the summer reading podcast. Hey, yes, mom, come on, live your truth. Believe the me that believes in you. This has been the Summer Reading Podcast. Uh, our music is by Nathan Morrissey. He's a good lad. You can find him on Instagram at nathan.morrissey77. Our editor is my brilliant, amazing, wonderful, beautiful, wonderful, lovely, brilliant mother, Rosa Maria. Do you want to do you want to plug yourself today? Yes, you can find me uh, Instagram at crochetwell, one word. Uh, you can also check out uh, my work, my rabbits, especially. I know you can't see this. But She's holding them up again. If for... you go, if you go on Etsy, you you can see that. Um, and the shop is also called Crochet Well. And um, yeah. Uh, our uh, our librarian is Marty. She will be back soon. Um, I have been your professor. My name is Jack. You can find me on Instagram at Jack from TV, all one word. And you know what? I'll even plug Marty. You can find Marty at um, Marty underscore the K or Marty underscore Thek on Instagram as well. Uh, won't you please join us next week? Hey, you, when... forgot, you forgot the uh, email. Oh, yeah, because I usually say, Marty, what's the email? Oh, I'm I'm looking it up because I know we always get confused as to um Jeez, I can't well, see. We we don't. I do. Marty always knows what it is. Uh Summary Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh yeah, okay. I don't know. Oh, right here. Is it summer reading podcast at gmail dot com? Summer reading podcast at gmail dot com. All right, please please send us your book recommendations, no, notes, words of encouragement, prayers. Don't send us your prayers. Send us your vibes. Uh, please join us next week short where stories. we read <laughs> short stories, uh, where we read The Pearl by John Steinbeck. See you then. Bye.